Good morning. Welcome to Crossroads Bible Church. Glad to have you guys all here with us today. Um, my name is Matt Kenny, for those of you who don't know me. And uh, over the last several months, we've been taking some opportunity as a staff to, to come up here and help you like put names with faces and talk a little bit about the different ministry areas. Uh, I was up here at the beginning of January talking about care ministry and counseling because I'm a part of that team. Uh, but I also serve a dual role here at Crossroads. And uh, the other role that I play is as the men's ministry director. Um, so uh, my, my role with men is uh, to help guys connect in meaningful relationships with one another as we know, we grow, and we go together um, to live wholeheartedly here into our faith. And so um, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about that, and here, here's why. About probably six years ago, I read this study um, that really kind of rocked my world a little bit. Um, it, was a, it was a study that was based on a research project that Barna did, and the research project concluded that when it comes to men, that only about one in 20 guys ever moves past the Sunday morning service when it comes to their involvement with the church and community serving and, and all those things. Only one in 20. That's like 5%. That that rocked my world. As a kid who grew up in the church, uh, I, was, I was one of those kids. Um, my family was, if the doors were open, we were there, right? It was Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, all kinds of different things. And so uh, when I got to my adult years and I started to understand more a little bit about, about statistics like that, it rocked my world. Um, and so uh, for me, when, when I, uh, way back in the early 2000s, I was a pastor at another church, and uh, we had gone through a rough season, and, and for me, I remember what it was like to uh, be able to have men in my life that I shared that season with, um, who mentored me, who came alongside of me. Uh, probably at the end of the day, it saved, it saved me, but it saved my marriage. It strengthened me as a father. Uh, it convinced me, being, in a, being involved with other men convinced me to look into my brokenness for the first time in my life and understand some of the things uh, that I struggled with and gave me the opportunity to walk alongside of some other men. And I think our culture, when it comes to men, sends us this message of the rugged individual. And what I've just come to understand is that's just a bunch of crap. The rugged individual... I know that in this life, the enemy puts too many roadblocks, too many snares, too many traps in front of me for me to be able to live this life alone. Um, so there's two ways you can, if you're, if you're one of the 5%, guys, if you're, if you're one of those 1 in 20 and you've had a hard time getting connected in the church into a meaningful relationship with, with other guys... Uh, there's two ways that you can get connected with that information here that will help you. Number one is we have a Men of Crossroads email group, 
everything that we do at Crossroads that's geared towards men uh, comes through that email chain. Okay? The other thing is we have a Men of Crossroads Facebook group. If you're on Facebook and you like to stay connected via Facebook, would love to have you get on that as well. Join up with that group um, so that you can uh, know the different things that are going on for guys here at Crossroads. One last thing with that. Um, like there are so many opportunities here at this church uh, to be involved with serving, to be involved with community, whether it's serving the kids down in the kids area on a Sunday, whether it's going to uh, the, the Kent County, well, I guess it's over here, the Kent County Jail uh, and meeting with guys at the Kent County Jail, whether it's journeying in a Bible study, a small group, uh, or whether it's coming to a men's meal and just dipping your toes in the water, we would love to have you to con consider getting involved with those things, all right? All right, why don't you stand with me a minute? As we uh, kind of open our hearts up today to receive from God and enter into worship together with one another, um, I, I don't know about you, but there's, there's this thing, like I, I get excited about a Sunday morning because there's something that happens when we, when we circle up here and we look each other in the eye and we begin to lift up the name of Jesus together. Something happens when the community comes together in worship. And so I want to start us off today uh, as we enter in. We're going to put up on the screen uh, some words from the Nicene Creed. And I want to read this together as a community as we enter into worship. So here we go. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten. Well, good morning, guys. My name is Nate, and I get to lead worship here. Um, and as we start, um, why don't you just say hi to a few people around you, and uh, let's just fill this house, make people feel welcome this morning. <clears throat> Go, let's sing have it all. You can have.
stars they wept The morning sun was dead The Savior of the world was fallen His body on the cross His blood poured out for us The weight of every curse
ushers could come down, we'll take an offering.
let's carry life this morning. Let's sing it. Let's mean it. Let's sing even when I. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, never stop working. You never stop, never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Never stop, you never stop working. Never stop, you never stop working. Father, we love you. Thank you for being here with us this morning, for dying for us, God, for raising, God, giving us life. Father, we're breathing because you gave it to us. Father, we look to you this morning. We love you. And all of Crossroads said, amen. It wasn't on. It's on now. By the way, RJ, can you believe this room right now? How did this happen? There was a wedding here last night that we were a part of, and I thought there's no way they're going to get this thing clean. And Mike and Mark need, if they're in this room, let's clap it up for these guys. RJ, you too, man. Yep. God's just uh, given us an embarrassment of riches in terms of the team that we have, and we've added this guy, Tim Bassett, as one of our residents. I know, exactly. And uh, see, dude? <laughs> um, he has grit and just goes to the Lord, and just tell, tell them about an opportunity. Yeah, so I wanted to make a quick reminder, uh, again, as your equipping pastor, one of my responsibilities is to put some opportunities in front of you to continue to grow and mature in your faith. And this uh, spring, we've got a new elective series kicking off that I'm really excited about. Uh, the first one, if you saw the video last week, the first opportunity is the Silent Years Elective. Matt Bell is a member of our congregation. He's a Bible teacher over at North Point Christian, and he's bringing some really rich content uh, for you to just dive into and start chewing on. That's going to be March 8, 15, and 22 during the 11 a.m. service in the upper room. Uh, if you haven't signed up, space is filling up. So make sure you do that today. You can do it on our website. Uh, but we just get excited about this. 
right, about God's word and about growing in our understanding of it, reading it well. And so uh, as our lead pastor puts a premium on that, models it for us, he knows his text well, we want to continue to know our text well. So this spring we're going to dive in and try to do that. So get signed up and uh, get excited. It's How many people are signed up so far? We have 32 signed up. Do you have a limit or not? We're going to pack that room out. Okay. So let's just Good. keep them coming. I'll cut it off if I need to. Yeah. Awesome, right. man. Good job. By the way, the silent years weren't so silent, as we'll find out, not right? Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. <laughs> okay. We're in John's Gospel, studying this. It begins with what's called a prologue. Those are the first, first 18 verses. By the way, when John wrote this, he didn't have chapter 1 and all these verses. The, the chapters and the verses were added much later. That's something that we did to this, this gospel. Uh, but the first 18 verses, uh, prologue. Uh, prologue means first word or introduction. Um, it's introducing us to the key themes, namely the key character, uh, who is Christ, who he is, what he came to do. Uh, the gospel narrative really begins in verse 19. And 19 to the end of chapter 1 describes four events that happen in four consecutive days. Scene 1 is in verse 19, John the Baptist being in the desert, baptizing, and the temple authorities, the big shots, come out and have to find out what, who this John the Baptist is and what he's doing. Scene number 2, which is the next day, uh, Jesus now joins the crowds of people who are going out to see John. And when John sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Uh, today now we're going to look at scenes 3 and 4. Uh, so let's stand for the reading of God's word, John 1, beginning at verse 35. The next day, John was there. So again, the next day really is the way John is doing chapters in his day. It's, it's a way to say, here's another scene. Here's another chapter, an event. The next day, John was there, again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said again, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? It's kind of hilarious. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. And this tells me that John is writing his gospels to non-Jews, or at least that's part of his audience, because he has to explain what a rabbi is. It's a teacher. Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and they saw where Jesus was staying. They spent the day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, but I'm going to change your name. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, new chapter. Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also spoke, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, are you serious? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. 
Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite in whom, I don't know how your translation says it, there is nothing false, there is no guile, there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see even greater things than this. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You may be seated. By the way, that last verse, I'm not going to get to it. So, but don't be upset by that because I will definitely bring that into play uh, two weeks from now. It's massive. Just not for today. So these two scenes that we just read are, are predominantly about Jesus. In my opinion, I don't know, did your mind start to drift and wander? They're quite unspectacular, at least at face value. There's no great miracle here. There's no storm being stilled, no temple being overturned, no exorcism, no lame person getting up and walking, no dead person being raised. And we like the spectacular. We seek it. So much of our spirituality today is predicated on it. The instant, the dramatic, the spectacular. And it all demands so little. It's so American. Know that. It's so American to love and crave the spectacular. But what we just read describes... Jesus' whole strategy to change the world, to change us. And that is predicated on these two unspectacular words in verse 43. Follow me. In fact, if you want to know why be God becomes a human, why God makes his dwelling among us, uh, why he comes to the neighborhood, it's not just to die and be raised from the dead, because if that were the case, we could now just jump to chapter 18. But we have all of these chapters because Jesus came to the world to change the world, to change us through these words, Follow me. In fact, his ministry right now is being launched with these words, follow me. And everything that these words, follow me, mean, are going to consume Jesus until he departs. So let me ask right now, do you know what these words, follow me, mean? Have you heard Jesus speak those words to you? Follow me. More importantly, have you responded? Has your life responded to those words? Follow me. 
Because I can make a strong argument right now that if you have not heard those words and you haven't responded to those words, you are still on the periphery of all this Christianity, Christian stuff. You're on the periphery with Jesus. I mean, Christianity can so easily become just something that we watch, like a long Netflix series, um, where you're just watching it, but you're never really participating. Uh, I mean, you could know everything there is to know about the show, but it's still just that. It's still just a show. You still don't know him, and you don't know all that he has to offer, especially the life and the transformation. And follow me, follow me, those words of Jesus are his call for us to enter, to fully participate. It's the call to become a disciple, something the church talks a lot about, but I don't know if we fully understand what it really means to be a disciple. At least as it was understood in the world of Jesus. Discipleship in in, in that world was very basic. It was simply learning how to walk, how to walk. Because to the ancient, life is just that. Life is a walk. And knowing how to walk and knowing where to walk is something that was lost in the garden. Humanity lost the ability to walk. Adam and Eve knew how to walk. They knew where to walk because every day they walked with God. And this is why to the ancient, our world is a very dark place. It's because we do not know how to walk. We don't know where to walk because we no longer walk with God. So what discipleship is, it's learning how to walk. How to walk like God, how to walk with God. In fact, walk, this word, it it is from cover to cover in our Bible. I'll just give you just a few of the places, especially in the New Testament, because we're more familiar with that. Walk before me. Walk after me. Walk according to my ways. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in a manner worthy of Christ. Walk in the light of God's word. Walk in him. Walk in the newness of life. Walk such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and give praise to God. Now to walk as God intended, the ancients believed we absolutely need two things. Number one, we need to know what the right path is because there's all kinds of paths that we can choose, that that the world offers, uh, that, that we can walk. Do I go this way? Do I go that way? Which path is the right path? Which path is the wrong path? I love that amen there. (laughs) Uh, Listen to the prophet Jeremiah. This is an appropriate verse for us today at Crossroads. (laughs) This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look and ask for what? Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Have you done that? See, the good way there is the ancient path, and and, and good is the same word that's used when God creates the world, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. So we're talking about something that is Eden good. 
And when it talks about rest for our souls, uh, we are talking about that Eden kind of rest. We're talking shalom, shalom. So the way that we get the rest of Eden, the peace of Eden, the shalom of Eden, to break in and break out of our lives, it's when we find the ancient path and we walk it. I mean, think about Abraham. God's very first word to Abraham, walk. It's a command to walk. And then God called him to the ancient path, and Abraham walked it. Abraham's people, they were given God's path, and they walked it. The Essenes last week were willing to leave everything, their comfort, life as they knew it, to go into the desert to prepare a path by walking out God's word, and that path then became literally a highway. In fact, if you want to know why the ancients have such a love for God's word, is because his word is the path. His word is the ancient path. The proverb says, or the psalm says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So the ancients said, not only do we need to know God's path, uh, but we also need a shepherd. We need someone who is in front of us, who's learned God's path, who's been walking God's path uh, with all of their heart, who can then show us the path and how to walk it. Now, in Jesus' day, this was a rabbi. There were hundreds of rabbis in Jesus' day. A rabbi is essentially a shepherd. It's someone who devoted their life to knowing God, finding God in his text, finding God's path there, and walking it with everything they had. And then they attracted what are called disciples who saw these rabbis so devoted to God, finding his path and walking it with everything that they had, that they parked their life behind the rabbi so that they could learn to walk the path that the rabbi walked and to walk like him. So discipleship is never something that we do alone. It absolutely requires a rabbi. No rabbi, no discipleship or disciple making. And here's what else they believe. They believe that when the Messiah came, he would once and for all show us the ancient path and how to walk it. Now look at this, verse 35 in our text today. The next day, John was there, and again, two of his disciples, when they saw Jesus passing by, John said, look, the Lamb of God. So here's John. He's standing with two of his disciples. Stop and just think about that for a moment. This tells me that John, too, is a rabbi. John probably had hundreds of disciples, all kinds of them. He's standing there with two of them, and Jesus shows up, and he, I can just see him pointing at Jesus and says, look at, behold him, the Lamb of God. And these two disciples obviously were with John the day before when, when, when John said the same thing and then said all those things about how he was unworthy to untie his sandals. But what precipitates John saying, look, behold him, there he is. 
I wish, I, I wish the NIV would be just a little more true to, to, to the words here because this literally is how it reads. And John looked at Jesus as he walked. He didn't just see Jesus passing by. He saw Jesus walk. And no one walked like Jesus. And this gave him the confidence to say, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then I love what happens next. These two disciples, remember, John, John is, is the Billy Graham of his day. These, these could be two of his inner circle. And in that moment, they leave following Billy Graham, and they follow this Jesus. And what I want us to see is that Jesus didn't just come to the world to be Savior, to be Lord, to be Messiah, all those things that are uh, already laid before us. Jesus also came to the world to be a rabbi. Verse 38, Jesus is addressed, rabbi. Verse 49, Nathanael, before he calls him uh, Israel's king and son of God, he calls him rabbi because Israel's king, this son of God, came to the world to be a rabbi. Now, when Jesus says these words, follow me, it's this simple. It's the call for us to park our life behind Jesus, to just get behind him, to walk after him, to follow him. For what purpose? so that we can become like him. And in Jesus' day, this, this discipleship, this, this rabbi-disciple relationship, it, it was not done so much through sermons or seminars or lectures, uh, but, but, but it was what I just said. It was through a relationship, this intense relationship where you give up a lot to be with your rabbi because you want to follow him so close, as they said, to be covered in his dust. You're that close to him all the time. Because the aim here is, is so much more than just the passing on of knowledge. Of course, it involved this. In fact, a disciple in this day would literally memorize all uh, their rabbi's teachings word for word. People ask me, like, how does John remember decades later what Jesus said? I'll tell you how. He memorized his words. You could call that plagiarism. In that world, it's called discipleship. That's why you can plagiarize any sermon I ever give, and I'll be flattered. (laughs) But listen, the primary aim of of this rabbi-disciple relationship was not just for a disciple to know everything that the rabbi knew, or, or to recite the rabbi's teachings, it was for the disciple to literally become all that the rabbi was. It's the call to be with the rabbi for the primary purpose that you would become like the rabbi, that you would walk like him. What's our theme verse? Does anybody remember it for the year? It's from John's letter who also writes the gospel. If anyone claims to be in Christ, he or she must walk as Jesus walked. 
Now, to heed this call of, of being a disciple of a rabbi meant that you were going to give that rabbi your everything, your everything. Things were left behind, things were laid down, things were given up for the simple reason that you can't become like the rabbi. We can't become like Jesus if we're not giving up things to be with Jesus. That's why I love verse 37. It says, when the two disciples heard him, heard John, again, hearing is also obeying, they followed Jesus. They gave up following who was the biggest deal in, in, in their world at that time to follow this dude from Nazareth. And they did it. And I love this. These two guys, it's like they're stalking Jesus. Jesus is just walking back to where he's staying that night. In verse 38, uh, he asks them, what are you guys seeking? Um, and they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see. And again, that's that language of John um, for us to come and see Jesus. Um, because I'll tell you right now, if you, if you really want to see Jesus and not be a spectator of Jesus, be a disciple of Jesus. So Jesus asks them, what do you want? And let me read this, how this actually reads. Jesus, where do you abide Jesus, we want to abide with you. Come and see, says Jesus. And they went, and they saw where Jesus abideth. Now, why did I use such weird English there? It's because this word abide in John's gospel carries a ton of theological freight. Sometimes we translate it abide, sometimes remain. Here it's translated as stay, but it literally, literally means to make your home, to make your home with. John uses this word 34 times in his gospel. He uses it 18 times in his letter. Let me just show you just a, just a small fraction of, of the times where he uses this word. Um, if you abide, if you make my home and my word, you are truly my disciple. I do not speak on my own, says Jesus, but the Father who abides in me, the Father makes his home in me, he is the one who speaks. You know the Holy Spirit because he abides with you and one day he will be in you. The Holy Spirit is going to make his home in you. Wow. This is the most probably famous one of, of where the word abide is. I am the vine, says Jesus. You are the branches, those who abide in me, who make their home in me. And I in them, who I make my home, uh, will bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. This, this word is used all over the place. Here's my question. Do you have a passion right now to abide with Jesus, to make your home with him. Do you have a passion to be with him? Let me give you another place where John uses this in his letters, the word abide. First John 2, verse 6, whoever says, I abide in him must walk just as Jesus walks. You 
can't be a disciple. You can't walk as Jesus walked, live as Jesus lived, love as Jesus loved, become like Jesus, unless you abide in him and he abides in you. Are you a spectator? Are you a disciple? And this is not a, a, a mystical abiding with. Uh, it, it's abiding in his word. It, it, it's abiding with Jesus through other disciples because this thing is never meant to be a me and Jesus, Jesus and me enterprise. Jesus makes his home in us. But let me personalize this. Are you a spectator? Are you a disciple? In fact, the next time you look in the mirror, I challenge you to look at that person staring back at you. Just ask that person, how badly do you want to be with Jesus? How badly do you want to become like him? I'll tell you what happens when we become a disciple of Jesus most spectacular thing that could ever happen to a person. More spectacular than almost any miracle in the Bible. And it's really symbolized by these verses that happen the next day with Peter in chapters 40, or verses 40 and 42. Still the same day, I'm sorry. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who, who had followed Jesus, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon, tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will now be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. That's what happens when we follow Jesus. We get a new name. <laughs> Jesus renames Simon. He gives him the name Peter, which, which, which means Rocky. It's a great name. Uh, I wish Jesus gave me that name. <laughs> and, and for us, you know, names uh, don't really carry that much weight. Uh, names to us are pretty much just labels, but in that day, names were incredibly significant because a name defined you. It was your very identity. And your identity determined your destiny. We become what we are. I mean, think about how God made the world. Yes, he spoke it, but even more specific to that, he named it. So when God names someone, that is so much more than just attaching a label. Our world loves labels. Our world seeks just the right label, the right image. But when God names something, it becomes actually what God names it to be. So when God names us, there is a change that is so profound within us. It's a change in our status. <laughs> to quote John in his letter, behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. That's a radical change in status to all of a sudden to be God's child. But there's also this change that happens in our very essence. We see this in Isaiah 43, where, where it says, Jacob, I have redeemed you. Israel, I have called you by name. We're not talking about two different people there. Because God renames Jacob, gives Jacob the name Israel, that reflects what goes on when, when he says, I have redeemed you. That name is more than a label. 
it reflects the change that takes place in Jacob. Jacob becomes Israel. Has this happened to you? Have you been given a new name? A whole new identity? A whole new understanding of who you are? A whole new purpose? Do you know your name? Do you know who named you? Has Jesus named you? Discipleship is how Jesus gives us a new name. And see, when Jesus names us, the change is so thorough and complete, our understanding of who we are and what we live for is radically changed to the core. And here's the deal. If, 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 if God or Jesus doesn't name you, something else or someone else will. Could be your career, a relationship, your bank account, friends, social standing, athletic, academic performance, all kinds of things that we can turn to to get our name. We have to have a name. We can't live without a name, without an identity. And here's the deal. Our world promises us in so many ways to give us a name. It entices us. It seduces us. And here's the bottom line. Whoever names you, whoever names you owns you. Who owns you right now? Whoever names you controls you, controls your life. What is your name? What do you turn to? What do you go to? to get your name. I used to love the Rocky movie, since we're talking about Rocky. Um, we're talking the classics now, okay? The, the older ones, not the newer ones. Um, Rocky could be summed up with how he's always talking about, I just need to go the distance. I just need to go the distance with Creed. Uh, he, he, he's always talking about going the distance, and there's one quote that he makes that I think sums up Rocky. When he says, if I go the distance, then I'll know I'm not a bum. If I go the distance, then I'll know I'm not a bum. And we're no different than Rocky. We all have something or someone that we turn to that we have to have that proves to ourselves and to others that we are not a bum. Have you turned to Christ? Because when we seek him, when we follow him, when we make our home in him, he gives us a name. And that name is far more than a label. It's a whole new identity that sets us free from ourselves, sets us free from the world and all its demands that it places on us. Uh, it sets us free from this need to prove to ourselves and to the world that we're not a bum. Because the one who made us is the one who knows us. He knows us to the core, to the bottom of who we are, and he loves us to the skies. He believes in us. You know how I know that? Especially through discipleship? It's right in our second story. 
Look at verses uh, 47. Jesus saw Nathanael approaching him, and he said, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Nathanael asked, How do you even know me? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. So here's, here's Nathanael's question. Jesus, how is it that you, you even know me? <laughs> and Jesus says, well, I saw you under the fig tree. I saw you before Philip called you. And I want us to hear what, what, what Jesus is saying to Nathanael. Don't get caught up so much on what is the fig tree and, and, and all of that. There, there could be meaning to that. There might not be. Um, but, but what Jesus essentially is saying to him is he's saying, Nathanael, listen, you think Philip called you, but he didn't. I already set my eyes upon you. I already knew you. I knew who you are, what you are. You didn't choose me, Nathaniel. I chose you. See, this is what's so interesting about Jesus. In this world of rabbis with disciples, all rabbis, um, they never chose their disciples. A, a disciple always chose a rabbi in the same way maybe a student today would pick their college. I want to I follow this rabbi. Jesus breaks with this tradition. He is the only rabbi who chooses his disciples. And how does he do it? With these words. Follow me. And if this whole thing of discipleship is the disciple becoming like the rabbi, do you hear what is implicit in Jesus' call? Not just follow me, but because of what this is all about, when I choose you, I actually believe. I believe, Peter you can become just like me. Do you know the power of having someone believe in you? Someone you look up to, someone that you respect, someone that you would actually like to be like, and they believe in you? Jesus does the choosing. And I'll, I'll say this. Today, I am the product of, I could name 10 men who pursued me and poured their life of Christ into me. And I'll tell you what all 10 of these men had in common. Every one of them believed in me, even when I didn't believe in myself. And that starts with my parents. It's the greatest gift they ever gave me is that they believed in me. And you know how much this is at the heart of Jesus, how much he believes in his disciples. And here we're not just talking even about a great person. We are talking about the one who made us, who knows us to the bottom. Nathaniel, I know who you are. But when he says to us, follow me, he actually believes that we cannot just follow him, but we can actually become like him. We can walk as he walked. I love what Rabbi Akiva said. He said, don't ever ask a person to believe in God without first telling that person how much God believes in them. 
And we're going to see this later in John's gospel. The night before Jesus dies, he's going to just drop some pretty big things on his disciples. He's going to say, guys, I'm departing. They're like, what? And he's going to even compound it by saying, not only am I leaving you guys, but I'm also sending you into the world to change the world. And literally panic and fear just set into these guys. And then Jesus, it's like he just looks at him and says, remember, you didn't pick me. I picked you. I believe in you. When Jesus calls us, yes, he knows us to the bottom, but he believes in us. And when we, through the unspectacular act of following Jesus, we get a new name, a new identity, and our lives begin to be changed from the inside out. Do you know your name? Do you know who gave you your name? Jesus? or some worldly entity. And maybe your heart today is saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of living for a label. I'm tired of being defined by the world's labels. Jesus, would you name me? Would you please name me? I love this uh, when Jesus looks at Nathaniel and he says, a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit, because this is a clear play on the character in the Old Testament, Jacob, who is really the father of Israel, who, whose life was full of deceit and guile. I mean, this is what Jacob, the name means. It means deceiver because this is who Jacob was. It was through deceit and through manipulation that, that Jacob could get whatever he wanted. Jacob would always win. And our world today is full of Jacobs, people who know how to get ahead, who, who know how to take advantage of suckers like Esau. Um, and in the end, though, behind the image, the label, they're insecure and restless. But see, this all changes for Jacob when Jacob enters the fight of his life with a stranger. And all through the night, Jacob feels like he's winning, something that Jacob is good at. But just as dawn is about to break, the stranger merely touches Jacob's hip. And in a moment, Jacob is crippled. He's helpless. He is utterly defeated. And he clings to this stranger. And he cries out for what he's wanted his whole life. Bless me. Change me. Transform me. And the stranger in that moment says, what is your name? Who are you, Jacob, behind the label? And Jacob says, my name is Jacob. In other words, I am a deceiver, I am a fake, I am a phony. And the stranger says, I'm going to give you a new name, a new identity. You were once Jacob, the deceiver. Now you are Israel, one in whom there is no guile. And Jacob appropriately names that place Penuel because he says, I saw God's face and my life was spared. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, Jacob there saw something a lot more terrifying than the face of death. Jacob that night saw the face of love. He saw the face of God. And this begins Jacob's new life as Israel. He is no longer a spectator. 
He is now a disciple. In fact, I love the last verse of this story. It said, and the sun rose. In other words, it's this imagery of the son of righteousness is rising on Jacob's life with healing in his wings. And then Jacob, at the very end of his life, right before he dies, gathers his 12 disciples, his 12 sons, and listen to what he says to them. He says, the God whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked after, this God has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. He became a disciple. He had a shepherd. Do you know the shepherd? Have you heard his call to come follow me? Are you following him? Are you walking after him? Here's the deal. We will all be like Jacob. We will either fight him or we will follow him. Because before Jesus gives us everything, he demands everything. Before he gives life, he demands our life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and to die. But here's the deal. When we do, when we stop being spectators, and we become a disciple, we're changed. And we're given an identity and a destiny that lasts forever. God, may our hearts hear your call to follow you. And may we not make this about anything other than that. God, we ask for your Holy Spirit today that we would hear your call and respond the way these four disciples responded in our text today, that we would follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. The 
more time, I call. And I call, you answer. And you came to my rescue and I wanna be Man, you guys can have a seat. We want to be a church that literally calls out to God. And uh, we have started and then stopped and then started and stopped something, something that is a high value to us. And that is on Sunday mornings providing a place through people of prayer to pray with people who want to call out to God. Whether it's cancer, you lost a job, something going on with one of your kids, you just want to be a disciple. And so Matt, again, this embarrassment of riches that we have at Crossroads, um, just decided to take upon himself in this stop season to say, we got to start this again. So Matt, I'll just let you take it from here. Yeah, so I don't know about you guys, but... um, I want to be a part of a place uh, where no matter what's going on in your life, um, like Rod said, cancer, struggle. Jesus promises us later in this same book of John that in this world we will have struggle, all of us. So um, if you're like me, sometimes I sit in that chair and I feel a little bit of that call, that voice in my heart, and uh, sometimes... I feel like I'm glued to my seat because <laughs> I don't, I don't want to stand up and I don't want attention to be placed on me. But guys, like, this, is, this community, we want to be a community where we acknowledge that everybody in the room has struggle, but absolutely nobody in this room ever needs to struggle alone by themselves. So um, there's people sitting around the front here These are prayer warriors. These are people who love to come alongside, and they're going to be here every week. So if this morning you're feeling that nudge in your heart that you need someone to talk to, you want someone to pray for you, um, we're going to worship just for a little bit longer. If you feel led to connect with one of these people around the stage, we just want to offer that invitation to you this morning. So let's continue to worship. You guys want to stand one more time?
second and kind of tune into what God is speaking to your heart. Why don't you close your eyes and just listen to the voice of your heart. So as we, uh, end our time together today, why don't you hear these words of Matthew 5, hear the words of Jesus when he says, you are the light of the world. You're a town built on a hill and it cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So Crossroads family, this week, may you hear the voice in your heart that says, follow me, the voice of Christ. May you have the courage to walk. And as you walk this week, 
May you feel that eternal, inexhaustible power of the Holy Spirit as he works in you and through you to a broken